Good morning and thanks for joining us as we continue our series in John's Gospel. Today we are looking at chapter 19 verses 25 to 30 and we come again this morning to Christ on the cross. He has been subjected to a sham trial, sentenced to death, then taken to the place of the skull called Golgotha. And in chapter 19 verse 18, John simply tells us, there they crucified him. These four words are all John tells us explicitly of the physical brutality of the execution of Jesus. But we know from other Gospels, from extra biblical accounts of crucifixion and from Old Testament prophetic writings about this event in particular, the severity of the suffering he is now under. Christ has lived a life of hardship and suffering. But none of the suffering, none of his previous trials and tests compared to this one. We see the intensity of his suffering on the cross in prophetic heart-wrenching detail in Psalm 22. The words of which Christ attributes to himself. We see his suffering particularly clearly in the first 18 verses. So let me read some selected verses from this psalm. To give us the context of where Jesus is physically, emotionally and spiritually. These verses give us unparalleled insight into the mind of Christ on the cross. So from Psalm 22, we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me The word from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. These verses of Psalm 22 portray so vividly the suffering of Christ on the cross for us. These verses are helpful for us to keep in the back of our mind as we consider the words of Christ from the cross in this section of John. Since John says so very little about it, it might be possible for us to forget the anguish he is experiencing as we hear Christ's words and see his actions here. 
that seem almost incongruous with what is happening. How can a man speak and act in the way he does in these verses of John 19 when experiencing the turmoil and agony that he is? I wonder if perhaps one of the reasons John tells us so little of the events of the cross is because he doesn't want the gruesome detail of the acts committed to Christ to distract us from the person of Christ on the cross. Because John's primary aim is not merely to record an historical event, but to point us to the truth of the man at the centre of it all. He wants us to see who Jesus is, to show us that he is the Messiah, God, the Son, the Saviour. He wants to show us the character of Christ. And here, as in life in general, character is revealed in crisis, in times of severe pressure and hardship. We know that in our own lives and as a generality, it is during times of great difficulty that the character of a person is revealed. It is in the extremity of life that the mask that we can so often wear on a day-to-day basis slips and our true self is revealed. I know that when I am tired or hungry or in pain, my impatience, my self-centeredness, my flawed selfishness is so often revealed. The person I present to the world is not always consistent with the person I am at my core. But as we will see in these verses, this is not the case at all with Christ. His character, which is revealed under the most unimaginable pressure of the cross, is entirely consistent with his character throughout his life and ministry. I see two things particularly from this section that show us the character of Christ. Two things that reinforce, that reiterate the facts that John has been presenting throughout to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour. Showing us that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is God the Son and his is no ordinary death. So, The two points we're going to focus on this morning are these. Firstly, the compassion of Christ from verses 25 to 27. And secondly, the control of Christ from verses 28 to 30. As we look at these two attributes presented in this text, we encounter the character revealing words of Christ. We hear in these five verses Three of the seven sayings of Christ from the cross, his last words recorded for us. And in these three sayings in this section of John, we hear Jesus, full of compassion, say to his mother, behold your son. Then a little later, we hear him say, I thirst in fulfillment of scripture. And in his final words, he proclaims victory from the cross when he says it is finished. In these words, we hear the heart of Christ, his compassion and his sovereign control. So first then, let's look at the compassion of Christ in verses 25 to 27. In his life, we have seen Jesus befriend the sinful and the outcast. 
He healed and he touched the untouchable. He consoled the grieving. He wept with those who wept. He was moved with compassion. His heart was full of love for the poor and the broken, the weak and the vulnerable, helpless sinners in need of a saviour. This is consistently who he was throughout his life. And this is exactly who we see him to be as he hangs on the cross now. But surely if ever there was a moment when some self-pity, some desire for others to look on him and provide him with comfort, for someone to serve him, surely this is the moment. And surely that would be understandable. But this is not what we see. Suffering immense pain and degrading and humiliating torture, we see something that is utterly astonishing. He does not respond to pain as any ordinary man might, although he would have felt it just as excruciatingly as any man. When we face pain or suffering, our fallen and natural tendency is to turn in on ourselves, to become self-focused. I know personally that whenever I have felt extreme pain in the past, it has had the effect of of dimming the lights to the people around me. A sort of blinkering or, or tunnel vision directed towards me occurs. I become me focused. I become blind and deaf to the people around me. But not so with Christ. He is always others focused. He remains focused on the needs and the suffering of others, even here, even now. This is no ordinary man. We read in verses 25 to 27, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus looks out from the cross and he sees his mother and he does not seek her to come and comfort him in his time of desperate need. Rather, he, with his hands nailed to the cross, reaches out to her. His heart is filled with compassion for his mother. At this time, Mary had likely been a widow for some time and would have been dependent upon her son, Jesus, for provision and protection in a society when women and widows especially were vulnerable and unvaluable. Add to this the utter heartbreak of Mary witnessing the brutal crucifixion of her beloved son. Her heart would have been pierced as she saw her son nailed to a tree. It reminds us of the words spoken by Simeon in the temple so many years ago when he said to Mary in Luke 2.35 that a sword would pierce her soul on account of her son. Mary now stands heartbroken and precariously isolated in a society where women were not regarded with any esteem. However, we see that Christ does not see his mother, nor any of the women in this scene, to be without value. 
they are immensely valuable. The worth of women is striking in John's account when we see the prominent position that they take in the story. You know, they are the closest witnesses to Jesus' death. The ones who stick close by, even when nearly all the disciples had long since fled in fear. The women are the first witnesses to the empty tomb and the first evangelists to tell the disciples of the risen saviour. Women are given a position of immense worth and value and they are treated with great care and dignity and compassion by Christ. And we see his love and care for these women and most specifically his own mother in this beautiful and most intimate scene. Jesus sees his mother standing near the cross with John, the disciple whom he loved, and he joins them together in a family. To his mother, he says, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. In this simple and beautiful act, Jesus provides for and protects. His heart is filled with compassion for his mother. He's not seeking anything in return. He simply wants to do it. He is compelled to. It is who he is. It flows from his heart of love. Jesus is a saviour, we see here, who is not only caring about our eternal futures, remarkable and amazing as that is. He is a saviour who cares about our needs now. He cares for the details of our lives, what we will eat, what we will wear. He cares about our loneliness. He cares about our grief and our loss. He sees our concerns and he cares for us. Even here, with hands nailed to the cross, Christ is capable of looking after his mother and placing her in a home. How much more so is Christ able and willing to look after us now? Now that he is risen and seated at his father's side. I hope that you can see from these verses the compassion of Christ. And I hope that you know his compassion is for you this morning. You see, Jesus' heart of compassion is not restricted to his mother alone. This is the same heart he has for you and for me and for all who follow him. We see that Jesus regards all of his followers with the same love and compassion as he would his own mother. Because if we belong to Christ, he, he regards us as family. Read what he says in Matthew twelve forty-eight to 50. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whomever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What immense love and compassion Christ shows us. And what immense love he shows here in John. And in order to show it, he exercises incredible self-control. He is able to set aside his own concern, his own suffering, and see the suffering of others and show concern for them instead. And this exercise of control to show compassion, it leads us right into our second main point of this message in verses 28 to 30 where we see the control of Christ. 
as you'll appreciate, these next few verses are packed with enough content for myriad sermons and countless books. So I am having to be quite selective in my focus, but I I hope you'll see how these verses consistently show the wonderful truth that I've chosen to focus on here. If the scene with his mother was a a study of the gospel and the character of Christ at a, a personal and domestic scale, this next scene in this next scene, it is as if the camera zooms way, way out and pulls back to give us a view of it from the cosmic scale. And whereas in the previous scene we saw Jesus exercise enormous self-control to show compassion towards his mother, here we see his sovereign control over all things through all ages to bring about the salvation of innumerable multitudes. Here we see the control of Christ on the cross. And I think we can see it in in at least four different ways. Firstly, we see it in the knowledge of Christ, the comprehensive knowledge he has that is mentioned in verse 28. Secondly, we see it in his fulfillment of scripture in verses 28 to 29. Third, we see it in his victorious declaration of it is finished and all that that momentous statement entails. Fourthly and finally, we see it in the act of Christ giving up his spirit in verse 30. So let's just try and expand a little bit on each of these points. Firstly, the knowledge of Christ that demonstrates his control. His knowledge shows clearly that Christ had a perfect and a complete understanding of his purpose, his mission, and what must be done in order to accomplish it. The events of his life, his trial, his death are all on purpose. None of them are by chance. None of them are random. We see Christ is in control of them all. On the cross, It's as if Jesus is keeping a mental checklist of all that he must do to both be the Messiah and Saviour and to prove to the watching world that he is the Messiah. From the smallest of details about soldiers gambling for his clothes to the method and location and time of his execution, Jesus knows That all of these events are pieces in a carefully and intricately designed plan of redemption. He knows every detail because he was the architect of every detail. As Hebrews 12.2 says, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so John tells us in chapter 19 verse 28, Jesus knew that all was finished. That is, all of the things that must be completed before his death. Jesus knows his life's mission is now complete, and so he speaks. And this brings us to our second piece of evidence for the control of Christ. Not only did Jesus have intimate and perfect knowledge of the scriptures, he fulfilled them all. Here we see Christ say something very natural given his circumstances. I thirst. But John indicates 
that this is more than a statement about his physical need. It is uttered as a fulfillment of prophecy. When we consider the number of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, it's absolutely staggering. On, on one scholar's count, I read a list of 351 different prophecies that meet their fulfillment in Christ. And if that number alone were not enough to dispel sceptical suggestions that this is just chance or fraud, well, surely the number of prophecies that meet their fulfillment in Jesus when he was, humanly speaking, utterly incapable of bringing them about himself, Surely these should dispel all doubt. Take, for instance, his place of birth, his mother's miraculous conception, his family tree, all beyond any human's ability to influence. Consider the prophecy uh, fulfillment even after his death that we see in the verses that, that follow the ones we're looking at this morning, where his bones were not broken, but his side was pierced. And now in verse 28 and 29 of this text, we see that Jesus fulfills the prophetic words of Psalm 69:12, and also of Psalm 22:15. <clears throat> he says he thirsts and is then given sour wine or wine vinegar to drink. The final act of scriptural fulfillment in Jesus while he still lives. And then we come to perhaps the most famous and wonderful words of Christ from the cross that demonstrate not only his control over the details of his life and execution, but over death itself. His recorded words, his last recorded words in John's gospel that echo down through eternity. It is finished. As I looked at this passage in preparation, I wondered what the difference between what was finished in verse 28 and this thing that is now declared finished here in verse 30 was. And the answer, I think, is this. In verse 28, Jesus had done everything required for the work of salvation throughout his life until the very end. He lived the perfect sinless life. He fulfilled script, all scripture. If his purpose was simply to show us how to be better, then there was nothing else that needed to be done. But, but Christ did not come to show us a better way. He came to be the way and he came to save. But if Christ did not die, salvation would not have been his, accomplished and his mission incomplete. The book of Romans in chapter 3 verse 23 tells us, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve death. It is the price of our sin. Now there is so much wrapped up in the declaration of Christ. It is finished in verse 30. It's a statement of completion, of accomplishment, of victory, it's also the same root word that is used to speak of financial debts being settled. Look, for example, at Matthew seventeen twenty four, where the disciples are asked, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? The word translated pay here is actually the same root word as is used in John nineteen thirty. There is a payment that Jesus completes here. He declares 
that the debt that stood against us has been settled, paid in full. Atonement for our sins has been made completely. It is finished. His death and his proclamation here marks its completion. His death purchases our lives, our salvation. There is no more work, no more payment, nothing more required to be done in order for for full and perfect forgiveness and relationship with God to be made possible for us. We simply need to accept this free gift of grace. The finality of Jesus' sacrifice here is underlined in Hebrews 1-2, which tells us after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. No previous priest ever sat down while on duty. There was always more to do, more to sacrifice, more to forgive. But Jesus' blood is not like the blood of bulls and goats that these priests offered. Jesus gave his own blood, his own life as a sacrifice once and for all. We read in Hebrews 10 uh, verses 12 and 14. But when Jesus Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When Christ declared it finished, he was declaring victory. He was proclaiming his control over Satan, over sin, over death. And he was declaring victory for all sinners everywhere and from all times who would come to him and be saved. His control over salvation is complete. His work is finished. And now finally, and very briefly, we see the control of Christ in the manner of his death. He did not succumb to his wounds. It was not blood loss or oxygen starvation that ultimately killed him. This was a voluntary act. His death was voluntary until the very end. Remember that at any point, Jesus could have called on an army of angels to come and rescue him from this torment. And they would have, even now. But we read that, but we read after the great victory cry of it is finished, that Jesus gave up his spirit. No one took Jesus' life from him. He gave it up willingly. He was in complete control. And this act of, and this was his act of ultimate compassion for a world suffering in sin and condemned to die. But Christ did not come to condemn, but to save. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to lay down his life for the sheep. John ten seventeen to 18, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In his death, we see the complete control of Christ. And in this section, we see both the compassion of Christ and his sovereign control. 
So then in closing, what are we to do with this knowledge of Jesus? The Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour, who is full of compassion and in complete control, who dies for us. What am I to do? Well, the answer is not to look at his life and try by our own determination to be like him. The answer is not to simply feel the shame of our sin and work hard to please God by cleaning ourselves up. The answer is to come to him, to know his heart of compassion towards you, to see his sovereign control from the cross that has accomplished everything necessary for you to have forgiveness of sins and peace with God. The answer this morning is to rest, to rest in the finished work of Christ for you. Let's pray. Our Father God, we we marvel at the work of the cross. We marvel at the person of Christ on the cross and all that he is revealed to be here in these verses. We thank you that you are a God who is full of compassion towards us today. In our suffering now, you are the God who comforts us. Help us to know your compassion and your comfort this morning. And Lord, more than that, help us to know your salvation. Help us to know that all that was required to bring us to you has been completed by Christ on the cross. Help us to come to him and to accept what he has done and to rest in his finished work this morning. Amen.